This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It is time for another edition of Where Are They Now? And we're happy to be joined by former A's right-hand reliever Brad Ziegler. And Brad, bring us up to speed. Where are you living these days? How's family? We'll get to the career and all the great things that happen on the field. But what's happening in the uh, Brad Ziegler life these days? Yeah, I'm. I'm appreciate you having me on. I'm, um, you know, excited to to catch back up. But we um, we're living in just in the south suburbs of Kansas City and. Um, going to Chiefs and Jayhawks fan or Chiefs and Jayhawks basketball games as much as possible, and um, obviously th- this weekend with the Final Four um, happening is, is pretty big here. So, um, other than that, we're um, we're actually about to build a new house just about 10, 15 minutes away. We're I think we're actually breaking ground tomorrow, which uh, I'm not sure when this will release, but that'll, that'll be Friday, April one, when we're breaking ground. So we're um, excited for that and and uh, move a little closer to our our kids' schools and church and. Um, you know, some a lot of our friends live over in that area, so it, it'll be a good good place for us. But yeah, we're just um, not not a lot going on as far as like we're we're uh, doing some real estate ventures, um, but that's you know obviously a super tough market right now. So um, we're we're just kind of hanging out and and enjoying life and watching our kids grow up and enjoying as much family time as I can. Kids playing any sports? Yeah, uh, my daughter is in dance, um, and so she's in kindergarten. So she's in dance, um, ballet, and and tap and hip hop. I think she does all three in the same night. And then um, our our she she will start softball this year for the first time. Coach pitch softball, and of course I'll be coaching, and everybody will be like, "Oh, you're throwing underhand. That's perfect." <laughs> um, but then then uh, our son plays basketball and baseball. Um, he's a lefty, which out of nowhere like we my wife and I are not lefties and we're not even sure where in the gene line it came from my her mom is a lefty but um that's the only one going back like three generations so um so it's 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 fun you know to see him like he can I will say he can really throw um you know for a second grader he's a second grader but it's it's fun to watch him you know grow up and develop and I I just want to you know, I always told my wife, she's like, do you want Josh to play sports? And I said, yes, absolutely. But I like professionally, I don't care. Even in college, I honestly don't care. But there are so many life lessons that are learned in team sports that I, I really want him to to experience that growing up through high school. And but I'm not you know, I don't want to be the the crazy dad of like, you know, oh, I, you know, anything. I want to put my kid on a travel team when he's six and you know all this stuff like we see that going on around us. And I'm just it blows my mind because it's. Yeah, I'm. I'm obviously 30 years removed from all that, but it's it's a it's just hard to imagine people spending the money that they do at that age and and as intense as the parents get. And I'm sure they're all just chasing the the Mike Trout contract, but they, you know, at the same time, like that's just such a it's such a rare person to to get to that point that I don't know that 
I think even Mike Trout would probably tell you, like, just enjoy life as a kid. And when you get to middle school and high school, then you can turn it up a notch. Absolutely. Brad, give me a 30,000 feet view of your career. I mean, I look back and, and while I know you broke in at a relatively late age, so to speak, sure. at age 28, you got 11 years in the big leagues. How do you, how do you view, how do you view the way you were able to, to, to accomplish that? Not only just get there, but able to stay there as long as you did. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was blessed with good health. I didn't, I didn't go on the, or I guess it'd be called the IL now. I didn't go on the DL um, back um, until literally my next to last season, 2017. Um, so I had my first nine years, I was completely healthy. I had surgery at the end of um, 2014, which would have been, you know, my seventh or so season in the big league, seventh or eighth season. Um, but I, it was right at the end of the year, so it didn't cost me any time. I was back by opening day the next year. Um, and so that that was a lot of it. I was able to be durable, be on the field, and take the ball whenever they needed me. And and outside of that, I mean, I mean, you know the style of pitcher I was. I was a ground ball guy. I didn't strike a lot of guys out, and and I needed good defenses behind me. And I was, I mean, I was blessed with a lot of really good infielders playing behind me. And um, you know, starting with Bobby Crosby and Eric Chavez and Mark Ellis, um, you know, as the the core of the infield. Whenever I was in, you know, my first year in Oakland and. And then a little later, you know, Cliff Pennington was playing short. He was a tremendous defensive shortstop. And Adam Rosales. And and then I got into Arizona and had, um, you know, Stephen Drew and Nick Ahmed and, you know, great shortstops there. And, like, those that was my bread and butter was just right-handers and ground balls and shortstop. And and I just had – I had such good guys playing behind me um, that it, it just made my job a lot easier. I was able to be confident on the mound knowing, like, I don't mind if this guy hits the ball because we're going to – we we did not make a lot of, a lot of errors behind me my whole career. And – um, it was just the only thing that the hardest thing for me to adjust to, I think, as I was going through it was as, as analytics became more into the game, um, the, the defensive shifts, I was used to, you know, like, Oh, ground ball, the shortstop. And then all of a sudden I turn around and there's no one there. And that was one of the hardest things for me to adjust to because I felt like I had to start adjusting where I pitched the ball to angle the ground ball a little bit. And I, I got to Boston when I got to Boston, that was the first time. Um, I had Tori Lavallo, um, you know, who ended up being my manager in Arizona um, my last year. But but he uh, he sat me down and he said, look, you are so different from everybody else that we are not going to use our general spray charts that we have for every other hitter because it, they're not going to react the same facing you that they will face in a righty throwing 96. And so why would we play the defense that way? And so they use a spray chart solely for me and like they would pull out guys like Joe Smith and Darren O'Day and like what are these you know what are these hitters doing against these guys and it it completely changed how I felt about analytics at that point because I'm like if they're going to tailor it to me personally I am all for it but I like if you're going to compare me to you know what's this guy doing off of Max Scherzer like that's it doesn't make any that didn't make any sense to me and it early on in the analytics I think a lot of people wanted to jump into it and they didn't really know have a plan of jumping into it they just needed to be in analytics they needed to be involved more because there was an advantage to be had there and now it's getting so tailored custom tailored per player um the more data that you have that i think it's really changed the game and and i was able to to extend my career a little bit at the end too where you know all if you look at across bullpens right now in baseball everybody's 96 to 103 and i was throwing 84 at the end of my career and that I feel like was a big reason why I was able to keep pitching and have success toward the end of my career was, you know, they were able to tailor things to my style and who I was as a pitcher and not worry about what they did 
you know, off of everybody else. Brad Ziegler joining us in our Where Are They Now episode. And, Brad, you talked about being blessed with good health, but the reality is the scary moment you had in the minor leagues with the fractured skull. I mean, we're not just talking about baseball. We're talking about life in general. How did that, how did that moment affect you in, in so many ways, not just, you know, thinking about the sport you love, but just thinking about the life you wanted to live? Sure. I, You know, I uh, – it, 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 it took a long time for me, not mentally to get back on the mound, but mentally to just realize I'm going through life now. And the odds of what are the odds of me having, you know, another skull fracture or even getting hit in the exact same spot. And I, I finally went and got enough opinions on, on that injury where I had a doctor finally tell me if you get hit, once that fracture is healed, if you get hit in the exact same spot, it's not going to be any worse than it would be if you got hit on the other side of your head head you know like once that area is healed there's a chance because of scar tissue and stuff it's actually stronger at that point and of course at that point I was an overhand pitcher and so whenever I threw I would turn this side of my head just with the momentum of my body was exposed when I became a submariner everything I I never stopped looking you know I my head would go like this and I would I would always be looking this part of my head was never exposed again to the batter and I was able to to just completely freely move on and um, you know, I, I, fortunately, I mean, that recovery, it's, it sucks for a while. I'm not going to lie. But, like, by the next spring training, I felt like I was basically back to normal. And and I really didn't have trouble, even though I was in A-ball at the time, I really didn't have trouble adjusting um, to getting back on the mound after the very first spring training game I pitched. Once I pitched that first spring training game and I got back out there, and I, I, was, I remember it was against the Cubs minor league and someone on that team buzzed the ball right back in the middle. I think it might have even been Brian LaHare that ended up with a little big league time and and um, buzzed the ball back up the middle, base hit up the middle, and and I was like, okay, like got that one out of the way, and now and I I really honestly never thought about it again. And it was I know there are guys that that struggle with that, like they see flashbacks and and you know deal with headaches and and that kind of stuff, and and I'm like that's got to be miserable for them. But I, I don't know. I didn't do anything special. I just was fortunate enough to never really, really deal with those side effects. Brad, you stayed overhand for a couple more years. I'm surprised your son's not named Ron Romantic Ziegler because <laughs> the, here's the guy who's one of the A's pitching coordinators who you had the conversation with about making that conversion from over the top to going to the sidearm and, and down below. Uh, it's a conversation that certainly dramatically changed the arc of your life. And I would imagine every time you bring up Ron Romanek's name, there's a smile attached to it. What, what was, what were those conversations like? And what were those early days like as a, as the submariner that you became so successfully in the big leagues? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I was, you know, when they first, um, when they first brought the idea to me, I was against it. I had had success pitching in the minors and I realized I was an older prospect, but I, I just kind of felt like, give me a shot to do this at the higher levels the way I, you know, the way I'm already pitching. It's not like I'm, you know, I finished that year second in the league in ERA and double a in, in 2005. And they come to me before the playoffs and said, we, you know, what do you think about doing this in the off season? And I was like, I literally just finished second in the league in ERA. And you're telling me you don't think it's good enough. And what changed Keith Littman actually called me and, you know, the farm director at the time. And he said, it's not that we don't think you're good enough or you can be good enough the way you are. We think this is a chance to actually get you there faster. And right now you're a, you know, 86 to 91 righty that, you know, has a good slider and a good changeup and good command, 
but that's a whole lot of guys in the minor leagues. And this is just a way to separate you a little bit. And it was that conversation at the end of it, he said, if you, if this doesn't work out, if we try this and you just cannot figure it out, we still want you back as an overhand pitcher. And at that point, it did not feel like a last resort to me. Whenever, you know, I always looked at any kind of change like that, going to a knuckleball, going to submarine, whatever, as this is a last resort for guys who can't do it the other way. When he gave me the indication they would have me back as an overhand pitcher, it was no longer a last resort. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, well, now I'm willing to try it. And so I, I you know, Ronnie put a lot of time and effort into to teaching me the delivery and and giving me, you know, um, cues to focus on. Um, but but I feel like Lip was a big part of it too, just because he, you know, he gave me the mental confidence of, look, we love you as a pitcher. We love your makeup. We think you are ready to be in the big leagues mentally right now. We've just got to find a way to get you there stuff-wise so that you're not there for a week and then you're done. And that was my whole goal when I got called up was I have no control over player movement. If they want to send me back to AAA, they can. Like when I got called up, I, Keith Folk and – Rudy Sienes and maybe one other guy were, were on the DL and I knew like there's a chance I'm only here a week and then going back to AAA but I wanted to pitch well enough to make it tough for them make make at least make it a hard decision and I understand like if they're making you know seven figures they're probably gonna not cut those guys and um and fortunately it just worked out where where I was able to stick and and you know ended up having a really good start to my career and and, you know, I had bumps along the way, 2010. I thought there was a good chance they were sending me back down at some point. And I think I was probably in conversations to be sent down um, at, for part of that year. And then I hit another stretch where I was pitching really well again and, and put all that to rest. And then, you know, when I got traded to Oakland or uh, to Arizona in 11, you know, it, 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 it just changed things going when a team sends prospects to acquire you, you have a lot more confidence of like, okay, I'm not going to the minors anymore. Like I can just go out and pitch. And all the way up until then, it was just pitch well enough to make it a tough decision. Pitch well enough to make it a tough decision. And that was a, a really stressful um, mentality to have. Like, looking back on it, I wish I would have done it differently. But at the time, I was just, I always just felt like if I give up a run, I might get sent down. And, and you know, then 39 innings later, I, you know, was I was at least safe for the rest of that year. That that's the point, Brad. Because we're visiting with Brad Ziegler in our "Where Are They Now?" episodes, and Brad, it's one thing for for Cal Ripken to have the streak that he did, or Joe DiMaggio to have the streak that he did. These were guys that were established in the big leagues and had their extended moments in time. You just got there, and all of a sudden, we're looking up names like Dave Ferris from the nineteen forty five Boston Red Sox because you're charging toward and passing that record for most consecutive scoreless innings to begin a career. Ziegler readies 3-2 pitch, fastball chop weakly on the right side. Conrad has to come in. Gloves, flips the first, the inning is over. The American League record belongs to Ziegler for most consecutive scoreless innings at the beginning of a major league career, and the A's preserve the lead. For the Rangers, shattered bat by Berta, topper, third base side, picking up, throwing his head ahead, it's in time! A great play. He had to dodge the bat, pick up the ball, and made the play as he was falling down. Brad Ziegler's got a modern Major League record, and the Rangers are retired. Here's the pitch to Iwamura. Swung on a fly ball left center field. Routine play. Emil Brown is right there, and he makes the catch. Brad Ziegler gets his second Major League save, and Gio Gonzalez 
gets his first major league win. The A's defeat Tampa Bay by the final of 2-1, to one, and it's 38 consecutive scoreless innings for Brad Ziegler. That's something nobody can take away from you. I mean, it's 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 a part of the 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 magnificence of your career. How do you look back on? I know you kind of glossed over it a little bit, but there was so much more involved than being able to do that every single time at the beginning of your career. You know, I, I've seen there's been guys who have started their career since then where they'll get to like 18, 19 innings, and I'll see my name kind of being brought up again in conversation, and and it's just crazy to think like to look back and be like gosh that like that was such a special run and I had no idea at the time like I said like my my mentality was just make it tough for them to sit, to send me down and looking back to you know to break that you know when we got to the major league record um that George McQuillan had for that was 101 years old and and then the ace having Brad Ziegler night at the park where they sold upper deck seats for a dollar and one cent because of that like that it's just so surreal. And at the time, I just, I don't think I appreciated it because I was still in the middle of it and just, just, you know, trying to like, just fighting to stay alive in the big leagues. I was just so happy to even be there. And looking back now, you know, like I, I had some runs later in my career where I might've got to like 17, 18 innings again, something like that, but nothing even close to 39. And, and my, also my role at that time varied so greatly throughout that. There was times where I was the first guy out of the bullpen in the fourth inning of a game and I'd pitch three innings in a game occasionally. And then, you know, by the end of it, I was closing. And, you know, just basically just the ninth inning or maybe a four-out save, that kind of thing. And to me, the role didn't matter. I, I just was going out trying to get outs. And my mentality was just so different um, where I, I just felt like, I, I you know, I, I was – even though I was 28 years old, I was an immature rookie from a baseball perspective. I did not know what I was going through baseball wise. And, and having, I will say this, having Romantic in the bullpen, he was the bullpen coach that year. That made a huge difference because I had someone I could talk to that knew what I was going through and all the work that I'd put into it. And if he wasn't there, I don't know if I would have been able to continuously make adjustments um, early in my career that I did and then later on, you know, after I got traded away, I had to figure a lot of that stuff out on my own. But I had bullpen, great bullpen coaches, um, Mel Stoudemire Jr. and um, Brian. Uh, gosh, this is so bad that I'm I'm trying to do this on the spot. And 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 uh, the Red Sox bullpen coach, both those guys, they put they put so much work. Dana, it was Dana um, Levange that ended up becoming their pitching coach. They put so much work into learning me. What do you need that we can watch while you're warming up and while you're throwing bullpens? And, but when I was first with Oakland, like Ron knew that stuff already. I didn't have to like try to come up with my own list and my agent, I will give my agent some credit. He's like, you've got to write, write some of this stuff down because if, if you do end up having a long career, you need to look, be able to look back at this stuff when romantic's not sitting right next to you. And that was – it ended up being huge for me late in my career to, to make some subtle adjustments here and there um, because, you know, because I, you know, I wanted – once I got in the big leagues, you know, obviously I told you, like, I wanted to make it tough to, to, for them to send me down. But I had a goal of I want 10 years of service time. I want to get fully vested. And just because I knew, like, in that role that I was in, like, anything, like, lofty things like, oh, make the Hall of Fame, even making an all-star team. Like, as a middle reliever, you don't make all-star teams typically. Um, that stuff was was so far out of reach that I was like, what is a realistic goal that I have, even though I don't have complete control of it, I have some control of it. And 
And when I hit that 10 years of service time, my last year, I, I knew, like, I knew before the year was over, like, as long as I'm in the big leagues all year, like, I'm done at this point. I didn't tell anybody, but I was, I was just, I wanted to go out on my terms. And um, I just, looking back on it now, I'm like, gosh, that was, it was such a great run. I had such a fun career. And, um, you know, even going, like, we'll, we'll go to Kansas City Royals games now, just because since we live here. And um, I don't miss in any way the off-season preparation, spring training, like, that stuff was such a grind at the end of my career after dealing with some of the, you know, the little Nick, Nick injuries here and there and the, the knee surgery and stuff. But I miss the games bad. Like I still do. I want to, you know, I still feel like, gosh, I wonder if I could, if I could get back out there and still get guys out right now. And I think it'd be a lot harder to have someone give me an opportunity now if I was throwing in the mid eighties, just the way the bullpens are built now. But, but it was still, um, you know, I still have that, that competitive fire now and I've got to find other ways to channel it. One thing we learned, Brad, before things evolved the way they did for you professionally in the big leagues is that you were a baseball fan or you were a memorabilia fan early. I mean, you collected a lot of baseball cards. You talked about that. I could see in our Zoom, you're in the, you know, in the, in the man cave, so to speak, and it's a, I can't read the names, but there's a lot of autographed baseballs behind you. Just, just remind us how all that started and why that is, gives you another connection to the game, even though you're a guy that, that played it at the highest level. Yeah, I, I had always, even you know, prior to my big league time, I had I was a fan of the game. I was a fan of the history of the game, especially. I loved older players. My two favorite players were Jackie Robinson and Stan Musial, and and they were neither guy were was guys obviously that I had seen play in person, um, even in my lifetime. Like, but I, I had a chance to meet Stan Musial later, you know, early in my life, later in his life, and um, just just cherish that moment. And and so at that point, I became. I was like, you know what? I don't know how long my career is going to last, but I have an opportunity right now to, like, we're playing against the Twins. I can get Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau's autograph. And so I, I would go and talk to them. Well, then it evolved into more and more and more. And eventually, like, I was just just started collecting like crazy. And, you know, my office here, I'm, I'm pretty blessed. I've got a 900-square-foot office right now that was supposed to be unfinished when we built the house, and we finished it off, and and it's just it's full of a lot of memorabilia and it's it's a place that i you know um i love coming down and just spending time because because of the history there and a lot of the memorabilia is from my career and a lot of it's stuff that i picked up at you know charity auctions along the way or whatever and um but it's just there's just such a neat history in the game of baseball and and even still like i like to go back in and watch the ken burns documentary um and just learn more about the history of the game refresh like i've, I've seen it three or four times and um it's just such a to me it's just such a great sport it's such a unique sport you know the only major sport without a, a time clock and I know we've got a pitch clock now but but there's still you know there's still every team's going to get the same amount of chances you know and and that's that's so different from anything everything in in other sports right now and I I just love that the baseball is that way and I just I don't know I I think I had a deep appreciation for the history of it when I was a kid and and growing up and and as I got into it, I was, it just kind of grew and just kept growing. And, and so when you mentioned, you know, Dave Boo Ferris and, and George McQuillan, and, you know, I, I think there was a, a reliever record that I tied that Walter Johnson, um, you know, held, holds with me. And it's like, gosh, these, like, these names are unbelievable. And it gave me a chance to dive into the history more, you know, because there were guys I, you know, some of them were guys I'd never heard of. Um, but now I know a lot about them because, you know, we, we had kind of a unique connection together. Right as we wind down our conversation with you, how do you look at the modern game? You touched a little bit on the bullpens, and we see so much velocity now. 
from from every guy that comes out of the bullpen. It seems like the, the game is tilted, at least as we see it today. More bullpen-reliant starters not really expected or asked to go deep in games and asking you know hitters to face three sometimes four different arms in a game well how do you see the game from from your from your vantage point it's i mean there's no question there there are some rules in the last three or four years the rule where a reliever has to um you know face at least three batters unless he he finishes an inning or gets hurt um this year the national league going to a dh that is going to drastically change strategy in the national league so much because you no longer have to worry about when a pitcher spot is coming up in the order and that was something that when you're in the bullpen in a National League game, you think about that so much. Like, okay, well, the guy's at 80 pitches now, you know, a couple guys on base, and he's due up third next inning. They're going to try to get him through this inning because then they can pinch hit for him, and, and you know, someone can go out there and, and start fresh, and maybe they can get two innings out of this reliever. Whereas if you go in in that scenario and you know your spot's due up third, they might double switch to get you at a different spot in the order and all the stuff. Like, all that strategy is gone now. And – I, there are good things about it, like Albert Pujols going back to the Cardinals. I think that is just tremendous for the game of baseball, and for him to wrap up his career in St. Louis is going to be really special. Um, and I played against Albert in high school, and so I like we we've have a, have a long history together, and and I'm so excited that he's going going back there, and and uh, that would have happened without this rule. And so there will be there will be benefits to this rule too. I just think. Like I always loved the strategy of the game and trying to think along with the manager, and that was always a lot easier to do in the American League than it was in the National League. How did how did you fare against Albert as high schoolers? Uh, as high schoolers, not well. Um, he, he you probably weren't alone. Good. Yeah, no he he had some ridiculous number of like we played like fifty two. I think his team played fifty two Legion games that summer, and he had like thirty six homers. Like it was just something absurd. You know, him with an aluminum bat was was scary. Um, I had a lot better success against him in the big leagues, and and uh, I let him know about it at the end of at the end of my career. I was like, you know, I you're probably still hitting 500 in your career off of me, but you're like one for four in the big leagues, and so <laughs> so we're you know we're um, we always just poke fun at each other, but um, you know it was it was neat to have a connection with someone going as far back to like when I was 16 years old and we were playing against each other. So, um, but we you know it's been um like i said it's been a fun run it's great to see him still playing it's fun you know i still am a, a big fan of the game and um like with all the cba stuff i was so involved in player negotiations um in, in I, I became the a's player rep in 20 2009 um and so in the 2011 and the 2016 negotiations i was you know heavily involved in that stuff and to to be on the outside of this one and only getting what's you know what basically what Jeff Passon's putting out there, you know, as far as what information is there, that was really hard for me. I wanted to, you know, this affects my long-term future, you know, how it affects our pension and, and our benefit plan and all the stuff. And before I was able to actually have a say in it. And now I'm just like, gosh, I hope these guys are, are still able to fight for us players that are done and the guys that haven't come yet. And, and I really respected what Andrew Miller did. He knew he was going to retire, but he was still deep in the negotiations and stayed very involved and basically waited until the CBA was signed and ratified and then announced his retirement. And that's that level of commitment is something I, I can, I can, um, I can relate to, but also like, you know, people, the, the guys who the younger guys in the game right now may not understand how special that was of him to do that and make sure that we were not giving up too much um, in the CBA to, to keep the game moving forward because the owner, the owners are benefiting for sure. There's, there's a lot of, you know, this game prints money for them in a lot of ways. And, 
um, I, there's always the, the fight to make sure the players are taken care of too, because it's not always the, the Mike Trouts and the, um, you know, Aaron judges and guys with huge contracts. Those guys are going to be fine. It's the guys who get one or two, three years in the big leagues that we are still fighting for like crazy to, to set them up as best as possible because they've worked their tail off to get there. And, and whether it's an injury or just a lack of success that shortens their career, um, they, we want them to feel part of, that they are as much a part of that brotherhood as the, the guys that are making 20 plus million dollars. Right, you spent 11 years in the big leagues and you made your debut as an A in May of 2008 and you threw over 200 games as an athletic. Uh, is it fair to ask, can you pick out a moment in the green and gold wearing the white spikes that really stands out for Brad Ziegler? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, there were, I, it's funny, like looking back at, um, there was a game against in a lot of it. I will say a lot of it is during that streak. I, re, I remember things when I, you know, when I broke the American league record, we were in Tampa. It was on an amazing play by Brooks Conrad at second base, like a ground ball up the middle. And he like made a sliding stop, throws it off his back foot, gets the guy out. That gets me the American league record. The, the major league record happens on a, with, with a runner on base. I think maybe a runner on first or second Marlon bird is up. Who's a fast, you know, fast outfielder hits a little nubber up the third baseline. Jack Hanahan comes in and barehands it and throws to first, throws him out by a half step. If he throws that ball down the right field line, the streak's over, and I don't get the record. You know, it's like every, so many things like that that, it, that really stuck out. Um, there was a three-inning game I, play, I pitched against Kansas City that year in Oakland where um, I got three double, double plays in the three innings. And so, and that was what, you know, like, that's kind of what I was designed to do. And I, I walked away from it. my dad's like, wow, you got three double plays today. I was like, yeah, but I couldn't keep guys off base. Like I would rather have a three up three down inning than having to get double plays every, inning. but it was just to have that, you know, that ground ball weapon was um, a lot of my career, but it, you know, I remember my debut. I remember um, in, in Texas and it reminded me a lot of the movie, the rookie. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the same, like, Oh, I was a school teacher for a while and all the stuff. Um, but just being an older rookie debuting in Texas, like whenever I've seen that movie since then, I'm like, gosh, there are a lot of similar parallels to me, um, you know, with Jim Morris. So, so it was just, just kind of fun looking back and, um, getting to share that, all those memories with my family and, um, you know, and, and the great fans of Oakland, it was, it was, they were so supportive. And I remember the Ziggo meter in the outfield where they were counting my scoreless innings on the little board. Um, and, um, you know, it was just, it was fun. It was such a, you know, the, the crowds weren't always big, but they were, they were very, the ones who were there were very boisterous and, and great passionate fans. And they, you know, extremely loyal. And I hope they find a way to keep, keep that team in Oakland long-term. And um, because I, I, you know, the, the, the passionate fans that are there, I would hate for them to lose that. Pat, really appreciate the memories. Thanks for taking a stroll with us. Uh, great to hear good things are happening for you and your family. You're settled and happy in the Midwest, and you were certainly an integral part of a lot of success for A's baseball uh, when you were with the Thank club you. for those four years. Uh, Brad Ziegler joining us in this edition of Where Are They Now? This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.